0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Here's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and thanks be to God for Josh, wherever he is. Uh, so great, brother, uh, to see you serve week in, week out, loving Jesus. And in fact, why don't we thank the Lord for Josh, but also all of the volunteers who really serve in so many, so many wonderful ways. Uh, it's a fun time to be in Melbourne. If you're from out of town and just a little bit curious by the change in weather patterns, unpredictability of it all, I thought you might appreciate this community announcement. Welcome to Melbourne. Winter starts at 6am, spring starts at 11, summer's at 2, autumn starts at 5, dress accordingly. Uh, I love this and I love that no matter what season we are in, we can enjoy God's Word together. So why don't you grab a Bible, come with me to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, as you're going there by show of hands, has anyone seen the movie Boyhood? Okay, well, I actually, I highly recommend it. Great, great movie. Uh, It's something of a groundbreaking film that provides a very intimate, uh, up-close look at the human condition. Uh, The movie uh, was 12 years in the making, following uh, a six-year-old boy named Mason, cool name, Uh, all the way through to his 18th birthday. And you get to kind of watch this movie in real time uh, as he goes from the little boy to the teenager, from the teenager to the man. And and throughout this, we not only see Mason kind of develop before our eyes like a Polaroid picture, but we get to experience life with him. We get to experience... uh, the struggles of his parents' separation and then divorce and the tension he feels with his mother and his father, we get to experience uh, as he goes to school uh, and tries to navigate the complexity of high school life and trying to fit in and find his identity. And of course, we get to journey with him in the quest for love and the failings and the fears and the struggles of finding the one. But there's one particular moment, uh, one question, in fact, that I want to uh, spotlight uh, from this movie. Towards the end of the movie, Mason is all grown up and uh, he's at a bar uh, with his dad and they've had something of a complex relationship, but here he is, they're at the bar, they've both, you know, he's grown up, they've both got a beer in hand, they're both side by side and interestingly... They're both reflecting on life, both reflecting on this journey from being a boy to being a teenager to now being a man. And it's amidst this that that Mason stops and he turns to his dad and he says, so dad, what's the point? The point of what, his dad says? I don't know, any of this, everything. His dad fumbles for a response, but ultimately the the answer remains, uh, the question remains unanswered. The scene fades to black and we're left with nothing. And I love the honesty uh, of Mason's question and the invitation for us all to consider the point. What is the point of it? What is the point of everything? As you know, life is a series of moments and milestones. You're born, you grow up, you go to school, perhaps you go to university, maybe you get a job, perhaps in the midst of that you find some friends, maybe you search for love, maybe you live here, then you live there. Life is this series of moments and milestones, but what is the point of it all? Have you ever stopped long enough to ask yourself that question? Have you ever stopped to to consider, what is my purpose? Last weekend, we began a short series in the lead up to uh, Christmas, looking at Colossians chapter 1. And we we did a deep dive in verse 15, looking at Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Uh, And we discovered not only that God knows us, but that in Jesus, we can know God. This week, we're doing a deep dive in verse 16, a verse that not only gives new insights into who Jesus is, but it's a verse that can help us grapple with our ultimate point and purpose in this journey called life. So let's bring this verse up. Verse 16, Paul says, For by him, that's Jesus, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Why don't we say this together? You ready? Here it is. Let's say it together. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Amen. Now, do you see what this tells us? It tells us that there is nothing in this world or in your life that doesn't find its origin in Jesus. The stars in the night sky, the planets that make up our universe, the sun rising on a beautiful summer's day, the deep blue waters in our ocean and everything in the ocean, our country, this church, your family, your friends, your work, your rest, your play, your very life and your very breath, your past, your present, your future, everything physical, everything spiritual, it all finds its origin And design in Jesus. The world is not uh, the result, as Bertrand Russell said, the result of a random collision of atoms. It has not come from nothing. No, Paul is laying out for you what the Bible is eager for you to know, that God made this world and that this world came into being through Jesus And note this, he says, all things were created through him and all things were created for him. So think about that. Paul is telling us that this universe and everything in this universe doesn't exist primarily for me or for you. It doesn't exist primarily for us. No, the world exists for who? Jesus It was created by Jesus and it was created for Jesus. It was created for his joy. It was created for his pleasure. It was created for his goodness. And indeed, it was created for his glory. It's not to say that your life is irrelevant. It's not to say that God is indifferent toward you. You matter. You are important to God. When God created this world, he wanted you in it. But the key to finding your life is actually losing your life. It's recognizing that life and this world is not ultimately all about you. It's about Jesus. The series of moments and milestones, the work, the study, the relationships, the family, the travel it ultimately exists to make much of Jesus because he is Lord over all. So what does that then mean for the everyday? How does God's purpose for this world that he made belongs to him, how does his purpose now shape the way we live? Of course, there are uh, so many applications that we could explore together and reflect on that. I encourage you this week in your own time with the Lord and indeed in your gospel community to wrestle with that. How does God's big overarching purpose now shape the way I live, the decisions I make, the choices I make? How does it shape it? Well, I encourage you to explore that. I'll get us going with four. Four applications. First, the supremacy of Christ over all creation, teaches me to stay curious. Right? So one of the things we love about kids is, is their curiosity. They're always asking why. And yet somewhere along the way, we grow up and stop asking questions. But know what Paul is doing here. Paul says all things were created for Jesus. So he's making the bold claim that everything in this universe exists to make much of the greatness of Jesus. And so there is an invitation here for us all to explore this world and everything in this world and to ask ourselves why it exists and how it now points to Jesus. So take, for example, the mystery of space. I was talking with a young bloke on Sunday night after our evening service, and we got chatting about the overview effect Um, Have you heard of this, the overview effect, Uh, when astronauts go into space, uh, they experience this deep cognitive shift in their mind that kind of alters their perspective of this world that we live in. In fact, in 1968, when the first kind of astronauts went up uh, into space, one of the crew members had this rush of exhilaration and joy and said, this must be what God sees. So cool. And so this overview effect, when you see our planet from this distance, uh, it helps you appreciate the world. You start to recognize that despite our different countries and our different views and our different tribes, essentially we're all one. But even more than that, you know what astronauts have noticed about themselves when they have that perspective? This remarkable sense of smallness and humility. You know, here we are on the earth and we think about our big buildings and our big plans and our big, right? But all of a sudden, when you see it like this, you realize how incredibly small we all are. Now, to some, that smallness is a frightening... uh, revelation but to those who know god they recognize how that smallness in his hand is ultimately freeing that in our humility we see the greatness of god right the psalmist says the heavens declare the glory the magnificence of our god Uh, you're not alone God is there. And while the universe has endless things for us to explore, uh, we also can just look in our backyard, can't we? Uh, At our newcomers' night, we had a great... Anyone at newcomers' Maybe not. Newcomers' night, Monday night, was fantastic. Uh, And I got chatting with uh, a woman uh, named Viv and getting to know a bit about her story. And uh, she tells me she works uh, as a flower farmer. A flower farmer. I thought flowers came in cute bunches from coals. Didn't know you had to farm these things. <laughs> I'm like, what is that like? She says, I love it. I'm outside in God's creation and she's there caring for them, tendering. Tendering, what is that word? Tending. Tending thank you. Right? Pruning. I'm like, what does this teach you? And she's like, oh, it teaches me how to complete dependence upon God. I learn from God. I look at the seasons. I see how we can take nothing and make something. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it wonderful to know that wherever you are, whether you're hovering in the stars above or out in the field, getting your hands dirty with the flowers, you can learn something about the greatness of God. And this is why we must never pit uh, scientific endeavour against Christianity. Science and faith are not at odds. In fact, many of the world's greatest scientists have faith. Uh, Joseph Taylor, who won a Nobel Peace Prize, said this, a scientific discovery is also a religious discovery. There's no conflict between science and religion. Our knowledge of God is made larger with every discovery we make about the world, Isn't that cool. Stay curious. Second, the supremacy of Christ over all creation invites us to practice thankfulness. The supremacy of Christ over all creation is inviting you to practice thankfulness. Right? If it is true that the world has come into being through jesus and this life and soul and body i was given through jesus then i can't walk this world with an air of entitlement i can't spend my days pointing to myself about all that i have accomplished now a right understanding of christ and his creation leads me and our church to be thankful As Paul says elsewhere, in everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, right? A lot of us grappling with, what is God's will for my life? Here it is, be thankful. What's my will? Be thankful. It doesn't matter if you are running a business, stay-at-home parent, Whether you're just starting school or graduating from school, God's will is that you, by His grace, would pursue an active, intentional life of thankfulness. Not a life of greed and grumbling. Not a life of comparison and self-entitlement. A life of gratitude. Gratitude in the spiritual blessings that God gives us. Gratitude in the physical realities that we get to enjoy. Thankfulness and gratitude in in the monumental moments, the big milestones in life. Gratitude in the mundane. In all things, in everything, we are thankful. I've been uh, uh, practicing uh, a prayer uh, in my evening prayer uh, known as the examen uh examine uh each night you kind of reflect it's this ancient practice that was kind of i think birthed by a young bloke named ignatius uh he um he was a bit of a wild cat and kind of indulged in all the various pleasures of the world but discovered that ultimately the point in life is not the world it's jesus and uh the examine is a moment to examine the day in the presence of god 10 to 15 minutes just as you lay your head on your pillow um to reflect on the day you have lived in the presence of God. And so you think back to the interactions you've had with people. Uh, you think about um, how God was at work in your relationships, your work. Uh, you think about your own shortcomings, when you were not in step with God's will, and you lay that at the, the foot of the cross. But you know what my favorite part of the examine is? It's the opportunity to look back on the day you have just lived and give thanks. And not just in broad brushstroke kind of way thank you for this day but actually to to think about all the ways God has blessed you encouraged you gifted you you know thank you Lord that I woke up today and there was oxygen in my lungs and a beat in my heart thank you Lord for the sound of the bird on the tree outside that tells me summer is coming spring is in the air thank you lord that when i went to the train station this morning to get my train into city there was a train and it came on time thank you lord thank you lord that when i arrive in melbourne central i get to enjoy a beautiful fresh cup of coffee i think coffee is greek for praise the lord Thank you, Lord, that I get to stand at the ramp and get to greet so many beautiful, encouraging, God-centered people. And then hearing you sing testifies to God's goodness. Thank you for the musicians and, and Josh and the volunteers and the many men and women serving at City Kids. You know, we had something like 82 kids, was it 82? 82 kids at City Kids last week. Thank you that there are men and women there serving. Thank you that in this city we can open God's word and, and celebrate who Jesus is and, and grapple. There is so much in a day <laughs> to thank the Lord for. And, and it helps in so many ways. I mean, it's helping me uh, not just kind of get through a day. It's helping me to, to, to not focus on what I don't have But to remember that in Jesus, the one who created all things, I I have him, I have this world to enjoy. It's helping me learn that, that God is at work in every moment. And that every good gift comes from above. Let me encourage you to recognize the supremacy of Christ over all creation and to practice thankfulness. To carve out five, ten minutes in your day in your prayer, to maybe journal it or go through it in your mind, however it is, but to express that, to practice thankfulness. Third, because Jesus is the one who made the world and is supreme over the world, then it's vital that you and I take up our role as stewards. We are stewards of God's world if this world is nothing more than a random accident that came from nothing then who really cares about the environment who really cares about our carbon footprint or what we pump into the ocean but if it is true that this world belongs to jesus was made by jesus is in fact sustained by jesus then you and I have a responsibility and duty to care for what God cares for. So this means that we care for the spiritual realities of life, but it also means, doesn't it, that we care for the physical realities of life as well. For those of you who were here last week, you will know that I spoke about the Gnostics, uh, which was an influential movement in the first century uh, known for false teaching and drawing Christians away from the gospel. And one of their views was dualism and this idea that the spiritual life is good and holy and the physical is bad. Your body is bad. The world is bad. Creation is evil. It's bad. Um... But is that a Christian worldview? No. As Paul said, all things were created through him and for him. All things. Things in heaven and on earth. You may recall uh, from uh, my recent uh, message uh, in Left and Right, looking at climate change, uh, I referenced uh, one of my, I suppose, heroes, uh, John Stott. John Stott uh, was an Anglican minister. Uh, he's written a score of great, great books to help us in our faith. And one of his most notable books is Radical Disciple, The Radical Disciple. And as part of this, he, he looks at aspects uh, that make up the Christian faith. And do you know which of the eight aspects took most evangelicals by surprise? Which characteristic he lays out? For the church to take hold of and embrace, it was creation care. He says this: God intends our care of creation to reflect our love for the Creator. Now, when I preached on this just recently, I confess that caring for the environment has not been my number one priority. Uh, I don't—I'm not a natural person to get out there and hug trees. That's not my mode. When I walk into KFC and I see a 24-piece pack of KFC, I don't see environmental disaster. I see a divine bucket that I love and God loves. But I am seeking to change. Uh, As a family, we're trying to be a little bit more conscious uh, about our use of electricity, partly financial, partly (laughs) environmental. Uh, We're caring. I'm starting to think about the amount of waste I generate. And would you believe it? By God's grace and God's grace alone, despite years of resistance, I bought my very first keep cup. Yeah, come on. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Uh, Is one keep cup going to save our climate disaster? Probably. Yes, says Dave. Thank you. Uh, But it is for me... um, well, partly a reminder, but, but actually a responsibility to care and to remember this is God's creation. It's not ultimately mine, it's His. And I'm to steward. We are to steward this world. And, and being a steward of God's world obviously not only pertains to the ocean and the air we breathe, but it also is a call here, isn't it, to, to care for people. People. Uh, particularly the vulnerable. Jesus is supreme over all creation. He cares for all creation. So we care for the environment. We also care for people and particularly the most vulnerable. Now, there are, of course, lots of people that come to mind when we think about the most vulnerable. But think, for example, about the, one of the largest groups, namely Children. Children are so very vulnerable. Jesus loves children, calls us to care for children. In fact, uh, Jesus himself said, let the little ones come to me. In a culture that was pushing, right? You remember that? The disciples like, you know, get away, get away. Jesus is important. He's like, no, let the kids come to me. They matter. Now, that little scene in the gospel is not kind of shocking to us. But in the first century, it certainly was. Uh, Paul Offit, a non-Christian uh, professor of pediatrics at University uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, calls Christianity the single greatest breakthrough against child bu- uh, child abuse in history. Listen to this. He explains: At the time of Jesus' life, child abuse, as noted by one historian, was the crying vice of the Roman Empire. Infanticide was common. Abandonment was common. Children were property, no different than slaves. But Jesus stood up for children, cared for them, when those around him typically didn't. Taking their cues from Jesus, the early Christians collected the babies abandoned by others. And when, to everyone's surprise, the Roman Emperor Constantine became a Christian, legal protections for women and children started to come into place. Amen, right? This is why I'm so thankful for this church and your generosity. Uh, just, I think it was last month or the month before that, we were able to announce um, a significant financial contribution to the Babes Project, $25,000 we were able to give to the... Yeah, praise the Lord. If, for the Babes Project, if you don't know, seeks to help uh, young mothers, mothers who, who are grappling with pregnancy uh, maybe they're in hard times, maybe they're trying to do it alone, but the Babes Project, which we gladly give our funds to, um, supports and cares and gives education and practical support. Right? It's prayerful and practically working together in such holistic way. That's who we're supposed to be. Um, and we see this across the church in, in so many wonderful ways. I was talking with uh, Matt Keller uh, a couple of weeks back about his uh, foster care. Uh, Matt Keller, if you don't know, serves as the director uh, for Next Generation uh, Ministries across all of our churches. So helping us invest in our kids and helping invest in our youth. Uh, And in his own home and personal life, he and his wife, they foster kids. Listen to what he says. The journey of foster care has been both incredibly challenging and rewarding for my wife, my children and myself over the years. We have had the privilege of helping to raise 23 children over our 19 years of marriage. The majority of these have been short-term or emergency care. Many have involved heartbreaking stories. Some have been difficult experiences. A few have not ended well at all. At times, like a lot of children's ministry, it is hard to know what difference we are making. However, I pray for each of these children each week. I know that the Lord can bring about lasting change in their lives in a way we can never hope to. We're currently seeing this as for the first time last month, we welcomed two young Aboriginal boys into our family permanently. These incredibly broken children are learning to pray, are hearing about a God who desperately loves them and are exhibiting exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit's work in their lives." Our foster care journey so far leads me, what? To praise God for His power and grace as it helps me appreciate even more the work He has done in me. Isn't that beautiful? Can't we thank God for His goodness in grace? Christians who know the supremacy of Christ over all creation, they stay curious, they practice thankfulness, they care for God's creation. And you know what else? Fourthly, finally, the supremacy of Christ over all this world reminds us to worship Jesus as Lord over all. If Jesus truly is the one who created all things, then you cannot limit Jesus to being just A good teacher you can't even limit him to being a good person an example for us all he is that but he is so much more if Jesus is truly the one in which all things find their being then he deserves our highest praise Jesus is the image of the invisible God who brought this world into existence. Jesus is the one who holds this world, loves this world. Jesus is the one who entered into this world. He lived for us. He died for us. He rose for us. And ascending to the right hand of the Father, He reigns supreme over it all. And if that is true, and I'm convinced it is, then we have one aim and chief purpose in life. And that is to spend our days making much of Jesus and worshipping him. Now, what is worship? Worship is what has your highest praise and your deepest affection. Uh, Worship is what you are living for what makes your life truly matter, worship is what you put first. That's not to say you don't have other goals, other values in life. It's just that you are prepared to lay them all down to make much of Him. And when you think of it in those terms, you begin to see that humans, we have the ability to worship pretty much anything, uh, I was talking with uh, Ben uh, this week uh, about the uh, the World Cup. Um, by the way, who who watched last night? It's a great game. Great result. Unexpected. Great game. I love it. Love supporting the Socceroos. Uh, don't normally watch a lot of soccer, but I do want to support the Socceroos. But it was interesting talking about with Ben and and just being and hearing, and I'd seen a little bit of this in the news uh, about... Um, uh, the, the, the controversy surrounding uh, Qatar's bid for the World Games. I don't know if you, the World Games, the World Cup. I don't know if you saw that, um, but there's a lot of claims of allegation of bribery. Apparently, Qatar spent 200 million dollars of public funds uh, to win the right uh, to hold this great event. Uh, and then, of course, is the apparent uh, exploitation of migrant workers who were kind of misused and uh, abused in their desire to build the infrastructure they needed to host this event. Uh, just last week, a design group uh, released concept pictures. Uh, I think there yeah, they are there. Yeah, concept pictures of a memorial tower to workers who lost their lives building Qatar's World Cup Stadium. Each block in the tower represents one worker who lost their life. Today, uh, as the World Cup continues, the memorial would stand at a height of 4.4 kilometres, commemorating 6,751 dead labourers. Horrific. To sacrifice so many in the name of sport, and success now am i saying sport is evil am i saying it's wrong to see development in a city and to build towers no but when we are sacrificing lives in the name of progress and world recognition you can be sure that you're in the grip of an idol of course it'd be easy for us to sit in the comfort of our seats and point the finger at this stadium and the idolatry wrapped around it. The truth is we all have our own stadiums of glory. Stadiums that become so important to us that we will sacrifice anything else to see them rise above everything else. Worship your intellect and the need to be right. You'll sacrifice the voice and opinion of others. Worship your power, the need to be in control. Well, you'll probably end up sacrificing the gifts and contribution of others, living in fear that they will take what you have, you'll shut them out. Worship your appearance. And the need to be beautiful and to find your identity and how you look, you'll sacrifice your credit card, sacrifice your money, endlessly finding that next thing to keep you above the rest. Worship your marriage, your children, and the need for them to be perfect. And you'll sacrifice the people around you under the weight of that expectation. Expectation. Worship your career, your ambition. You'll be sacrificing the deep and important relationships that God has made you to know and enjoy. We who are in Christ don't worship creation. We don't seek to find our meaning and our purpose in this world. Our meaning is found in the one who made the world. We worship Jesus. That's not to say the job and money and home and travel are not important. To worship Jesus is to see him as first and supreme over all. I've loved reading and hearing the various testimonies of people who've uh, given their life to Jesus and recently got baptized. There was one that went up on our social media this week about Aloise. Uh, Eloise was born into a New Age family. Um, She says she spent 30 years mastering astrology and magic to create what she wanted in life. But then a few months ago, God in His goodness intervenes. She says she's sitting at home, scrolling the internet, when she stumbles across a YouTube video. And remarkably, it was through this clip that God graciously showed Eloise that she'd been living a lie and it was now time to walk in the light and embrace the truth. The truth that Jesus is Lord, the truth that Jesus is supreme over all. In her words, Eloise says, I turned away from believing I was a God creating my own reality and towards God who created me and all of reality. By the grace of Jesus, I've been gifted a new life. I am no longer at the center, doing it my way, but instead want to know and glorify His light. You know what that is? That's worship. That's worship. Worship is not a claim that you know everything, have everything in its perfect place. It's not saying that your life is always, without, uh, is always good or without challenge. But worship at its heart is a recognition that we are not at the center, Jesus is. And so you and me, we live for Him. We resolve in our life to pray to Him. In times of difficulty and worry, in, t- in times of success, we trust in Him. In moments of temptation, In trial, we resolve in our heart to obey Him. We serve Jesus. We give like Jesus. We stand up for Jesus. We point others to Jesus. You and I, we find our comfort, our hope, our identity, and indeed our purpose in Jesus. Across our work, our study, our family, our marriage, our church, wherever there is life, That life must orientate around Jesus. I love how Jonathan Edwards paints the glory of Christ for us and our call. He says this, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of Him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands and wives or children or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the Son. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. What is the point of everything? It is to dive deep into the ocean of God's goodness and grace. It is to recognize that His waters, The fountains, the streams of living water is what your soul so desperately needs. That ache you have right now, that quest you are on right now, that question above every question finds its answer in Him. Jesus, supreme and sovereign over all. The band is going to come on up and uh, lead us in song, lead us in worship. So, if you guys want to come on up, and as they're coming up, um, I thought I'd just bring the words up for you from that song that we sung. Uh, we didn't sing, we heard Anna sing last week. Uh, we're going to sing it together as a response of worship. It's a beautiful song. It says, If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar, Your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. As you sing, as you sing, I want to invite you to recognize that we are in God's presence. I want to see Him as supreme and sovereign. I want you to ask, Lord, where in my life are things a little displaced? You know, maybe there is a sin, a habit that you know displeases him, something you're trying to hide or conceal. Uh, Maybe there's a project at work or a final exam that's just consuming everything. Become everything to you. Maybe there's a relationship that you're clinging to, believing that your whole life now resolves around revolves around that. We are people who worship Jesus. And so as we sing and as you pray and as you lift up Christ. It's a time now for us to confess the idols of our heart, to acknowledge them, and not only to confess them and acknowledge them, but to ask that God would fill us with His Holy Spirit, to enlarge our heart, to see Jesus for who Jesus truly is. And so let's stand as I pray, Lord, fill us with Your Spirit. We rejoice, Lord, in how creation testifies to your glory. And we ask, Lord, that we would now glorify you. And that in our work, in our study, and in our relationships, and indeed our life, we would be a people who would live on our knees with our hands out celebrating you. We love you, Lord, and we pray that we could make much of you right now. Amen.